RPG lessons learned. When the game is over, when your players are gone, that's when lessons are learned. We are at RPG LL Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, RPGLLPodcast at gmail.com, and check us out online at RPGLessonsLearned.com. Welcome to RPG Lessons Learned, the show where you can learn from our mistakes. With me today is Brian. Hey, Dusty. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. And, uh, and that's it. Mike is in Florida, and we wish him well. Is he on vacation or is it business? It's vacation. Oh, we wish him, we wish him very well. Today, we're continuing our journey through our Pathfinder campaign. So we, uh, we, we, we covered the finale some time ago, and we covered the campaign in total so, a while ago. But there's still a lot of individual sessions that we uh, have not covered. And this is one of those. Oh, boy, are there. <laughs> There's a ton we haven't covered. There are still I didn't realize how many that we haven't covered yet. Yeah, we haven't covered probably the majority. So, in all seriousness, Brian, this is where I started a subplot that just never took off. Do you remember that? Oh, wow. Um, so, not specifically. Uh, I know that there are... The vampirism is what I'm referring to. That's the subplot that never took off. So I I, I know th- okay in the game or in the course of the uh, of the campaign, uh, Valeros was infected with vampirism. Yes, but wasn't it in the next game that was it Ilsorai that cured him? Ilsorai told him how to become cured. Uh, but I don't, we'll get into that when we cover that game. For this game, this is the game where I introduced it. You, you're going to give him the option of staying a vampire. I was, yeah. And, and I was really searching at this point still. So, Brian, d- during the uh, finale, you alluded to, very correctly, a whole middle part of the campaign that you just kind of lost focus on. Yeah. And I could sense that. I could feel that. And I was, I was looking to just throw some things in there. Um, to make it interesting for you guys. And I decided, wouldn't it be fun if one or more of you became vampires? We, we, we've never done the whole, you know, characters become vampires um, game trope. And it's a fairly popular pro- uh, trope to the, ex- to the extent that even Morrowind had the Blood Moon expansion yeah. where you could be a vampire or a werewolf. So I think, you know, having some vampirism, et cetera, in a game, I thought it'd be a little bit fun, but it, it, just, it just didn't go We anywhere. don't commit. We never commit to things like that. Yeah. So I, I opened this session up with the lady vampire appearing to Valeros in his room and, and more or less, you know, seducing him w- with his permission, by the way, those at home. I never, 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 never allow NPCs to seduce PCs without permission. I, I got Chris's permission and uh, he basically woke up with uh, with vampirism. He was uh, strangely hungry. Food and drink couldn't, you know, slake his his hunger and thirst and he had some wounds on his neck i i really appreciated the way that chris approached this yeah he was he was all for trying it he was all for trying it and his rping was great too and and i actually used a pathfinder supplement to to alter his stats like we upped all of his physical stats and we dropped all of his mental stats yeah that was fun yeah it, it, it i thought he would love it it'd make him a more effective fighter anyway that was that that was how we opened the session and I wanted it to play out during the session. So that evil vampire was the one from sessions before this where Kyra had been called onto a, onto a mission from, 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 Kyra, from, from her god, from Saren Ray, to cleanse um, Sandpoint 
of this vampiric influence. And the vampire only appeared during the full moon. You guys didn't quite make it happen. We covered that, you know, many episodes ago. This was the... This uh, was where we returned to the graveyard. Yeah, so we were in the graveyard. We were way outclassed, so we decided to scoot, effectively. Last time. Yeah. And then this time you came back. Yeah. And you came back a little more prepared. Um, you This time you wiped out the graveyard's denizens um, to the point... Uh, yeah, you, you cleared off all the monsters. You even cleared the gargoyles. So let's talk about some of the more fun things. Do you remember Dire Valeros? The Dire, remember, came from the Bone Ship. Oh, yeah, 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 I remember that. D- during Ilsorag and Dethus' School of Witchcraft and Wizardry, when you fought the Dire Rats, you figured out that they had been made dire by a bone ship that had been thrust into, yeah. into their skin. And you guys kept that, and I'd kind of lost track of it. I'd forgotten about it. And next thing I know, um, Nathan has his character, Merciel, stab you know, Valeros in the neck with that bone chip and turn him into dire Valeros. Now, when that happened, were we doing that to specifically, um, how do I, how do I put it? So uh, in like in anime, um, there's the trope of like the super version of whatever character, um, to overcome, uh, Dragon Ball Z did it all the time. Uh, so say they were fighting, uh, something that they couldn't overcome. So Goku would become a new level of Super Saiyan. Did we do it because we couldn't defeat the gargoyle or we just did it for kicks? It's sort of the way I remember it. You guys were having a hard time. You, you still had a hard time with that and what enabled you to take out the gargoyle. In fact, Valeros took it out single handedly. Yeah, once he'd been transformed, it was the dire transformation. I wasn't expecting it, though. It wasn't something that I suggested to you. It wasn't something that the encounter called for. It wasn't something that I hinted at. Um, I had completely forgotten. Nathan kind of pinned me down on why, how the rats were turned into dire rats sessions before. And then he kept the pieces and parts and the components that made that happen. And then he employed them. Of all the of all of the of all of us at the table, Nathan is the most improvisational when it comes to gameplay. I think he's the one who uh, approaches things with uh, the most freedom. Uh, he's willing to take chances and do things. I think the rest of us aren't typically comfortable doing. And, and think of things. And, and think of things beyond just swinging his sword or stabbing him with his daggers round after round. Nathan goes that extra mile to really think about how to use stuff in creative ways to solve problems. Yeah, and I think part of it is I almost try to, not that, even if I'm not specifically connected to the character, I still, it's kind of like a video game. In Super Mario Brothers, especially the 3D versions, as Mario, when I'm like really up high and I jump, like my heart sinks as I fall because I feel that I'm going to die. In these games, I basically feel that if my character takes damage, that I somehow take or feel actual pain from it. Uh, Emotional pain, but pain. So I do whatever I can to keep my character alive and safe, where I think Nathan is, he doesn't necessarily build that same level of Almost a symbiosis in a way with a character where I don't want my character to suffer pain. Therefore, I play things safe. Mike, I think, also does the same thing and Chris to an extent. But Nathan's like, screw it. Let's just go ahead and do this because it sounds like fun. Well, part of Nathan and I connecting a long time ago was over uh, over some Terry Pratchett references. So Nathan really likes that kind of, I don't want to say absurdist, 
Um, but he really likes the, the style of writing and storytelling that's thick with humor and kind of pokes fun at all the tropes of, of different genres. And that takes a, a, a more balanced approach to say, okay, if, if these things were real, here's how you could break that. So recapping the game and, and, and just trying to tie this all together into a couple of lessons. So for this particular session, number one, um, some things I did well. I focused on combat. I think we did not have combats that were more interesting or more challenging until the mummy session, like like many sessions later. Yeah. Um, I'm actually trying to think back. Like the session before this, the uh, session where we were uh, with the gargoyles and the vampires, the I guess, was that two sessions before? Because it was, it, was, it was like three or four sessions before. Yeah. I don't remember that being specifically a novel fight. It kind of felt like a slog at that point. That one did, yes. Yes. Where, uh, yeah, this one was, uh, yeah, it was, it was more engrossing and engaging. So I also, it's funny when I, when I look at the recap to this game. I also thought I did a good job of stirring the pot by introducing the vampirism, but you know it, it it would turn out sessions later that it just never went anywhere. Yeah, and if I recall correctly, uh, with Kyra, um, Kyra is lawful good, and the idea of I mean, if if lawful good is concept in Pathfinder, I don't even know, but I'm but Mike plays the character off as lawful good. Uh, and I know there was some concern that if, um, Valeros is going to be a vampire, that there might be conflict between Kyra. And I wanted that. Kyra specifically had issues with undead. She was specifically set against undead. And I wanted to set up some vampirism in the party. I wanted to set up some inner party conflict. I wanted to set up some drama. I wanted you guys to role play with each other. But we play it safe. But you play it safe. You just, you, you don't engage on that. You don't role play with each other. And that, you know, damn, Brian, I guess I hadn't put that together before now. Seriously, you guys will role play with me yeah. when I'm an NPC, but you don't role play with each other. And that's just hitting me like a ton of bricks right now. Yeah, uh, we metagame a lot. We speak outside of uh, outside of character a lot to um, to plan uh, courses of action. But no, we don't RP with each other that much. Why not? Um. Does it feel goofier? Does it feel stranger? Like uh, okay, I have a theory. I have a theory, um, and it may be completely off. But especially going back to uh, basically Mike running things, uh, sort of Mike taking the lead of the um, party. Uh, I think Mike has always approached it with his gamer brain, and it's almost like we again. I think actually a week or two back we were talking about playing games online. Uh, whenever Mike's playing Counter Strike or whatever, Mike doesn't pretend that he's the guy in Counter Strike who's shooting the gun. Mike's a guy; he's a gamer, and he is negotiating or navigating this uh, Counter Strike world uh, and using his gamer brain to help you know support he and his party or his um, his team to to victory. We basically play this like we're playing an online first-person shooter, except we're all in the same room and we have dice in our hands instead of a mouse and a keyboard. I like your analogy, but but what I take from your analogy is, <laughs> we, you know, we, we love making Bioware um, yes. comparisons to Bioware RPGs. Was, yep. It's like the four of you are sitting in a room, literally the four of you, not the four characters, the four of you are sitting in a room on a couch playing a Bioware game 
and I am that game. And because you four are in the room together, you four are not the interesting thing to role play with. I, as the game, am the interesting thing to role play with. Is that what it is? Yeah. That encompasses what you just kind of said about about playing, you know, it brings your video game analogy full circle, I think. That's interesting. I'm not giving you guys interesting reasons to role play with each other. I don't know that that's the case. I think that naturally we... No, I'm not. It, it's never even occurred to me to try to. So I know I'm not. Huh. How would you feel if I did? How would you do it? I don't know. But if I gave you a compelling reason to role play with Mike, would you think to yourself, ooh, this will be fun. So I... Or, hang on, or would you think to yourself, ugh, what a waste of time. Mike's not going to advance the plot. Dusty's going to advance the plot. I don't want to waste my time with Mike. No, I, I, I don't think that. But it depends on how you set it up. So if you go back and... It's like one of those games where we each have a secret or one of us has a secret and we have to keep it from the others. I hate that. Really? Yes, I hate that. What about Tanner's game? Um, In my mind, that was such a small part of the actual game that, I mean, I only referenced it at the very end. Did you still hate it, but, I didn't hate but you it. hated it less because it was a small part of the game or because it was a small part of the game, were you able to enjoy it? I didn't necessarily, it was just, it became a thought that occurred to me, a task that I had to perform to feel that I had successfully navigated that campaign. It was, it was, um, a toll gate or it was, it was, um, just a function that I had to perform. It wasn't something that, I mean, I enjoyed the game. We talked about it. It was, you know, I think oh, I really, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was a lot of fun, but that specific aspect of it was a minor part. And I think if in the game, in any game, um, there was some major secret or something that uh, was in Mike's head, but not in mine and we couldn't share, I think that would drive me crazy. I've got to, to dig on this some more and think on this some more. I don't even know how to ask the next questions, Brian, about, about how, how do I... How do I incent you guys, incentivize you guys to role play with each other? And would you even want me to? Immediately, I don't know how you would even go about it. And it would probably feel unnatural because we've been playing in this mode now for 10 years. I want to try it. Though. Would it feel more natural in a one shot or more natural in a campaign? Um, I think if we were forced to do it in a campaign, forced is a strong word. But if that became an aspect of the game that we really had to do, I think that would probably change our behavior long term, where just doing it once in a one shot probably would be something that we would uh, feel like we are um, obligated to do in that one shot. And we would probably just stop doing it. There's a game purpose built for this. The game is called Paranoia. Okay. And the, the, I've never played it. So anyone listening right now who's played Paranoia, I'm going to mess this up. I apologize. But Martin told me about this game, Brian. And then I have, I have bought two separate bundle of holdings. I'm addicted to bundle of holding. I've bought two separate Paranoia bundle of holdings. I bought one a year, year and a half, two years ago. Uh, that was kind of a, a Paranoia redo in another system. And then I recently bought one that was Paranoia Classic and it may, it may actually still be available. But the idea behind Paranoia, as I recall it, is that you have like four or five clones, and you and a bunch of other people in your party are troubleshooters, and you go on these missions on behalf of the computer. The AI dispatches you for the mission. But 
there are so many secret societies and secret organizations and secret spies and, and revolts and rebellions and all this kind of stuff. There's so many plots within plots that somehow the game mechanics incentivize you to kill each other. So it's like, how much, you know, can you accomplish this mission before you all kill each other? And Martin's talked about, you know, the all four players will be, you know, their, their characters will be in an elevator. And he'll describe some very minor, like, you know, the elevator kind of bumps and they all shoot each other because they're all trying to achieve their goals at the expense of the others. So that's interesting. Honestly, and I'm not even joking. What I thought you were going to say is, um, again, going back to our, our business ethos, a lot of corporate training involves role play. And as much as I enjoy role play at the table, I hate role play and training. So I thought you were going to say some sort of quasi role play trust exercise where you have to, as a team, figure no, out no. how to, you know, get a return on investment or something that you would do. And God, no. Yeah, I would have I would have hated that. That sounds interesting, but it feels like it would be something that we would do in a one shot. Yeah, we have too many other campaign ideas. Yeah. Just right now for the next campaigns that we want to play. How do you but like how do you take that idea and incorporate it into a campaign? That we might want to do. Yeah, I don't know. I've, I've, so I, I backed. I, I backed. I bought both of those humble bundles, and I've never or bundle of holdings. I mean, and I never actually read them. I should download them and read them and see how the mechanics work. Um, I love bundle of holding. My God, I love bundle of holding. I usually they they do like three or four bundles a month. I usually do at least one of the bundles because it's just there's just so much RPG stuff that's such a good deal that flows through there. All right. Um, to sum up quickly for those at home first of all we did not wind up where i thought we would we wound up in a really interesting place a really interesting revelation to me about um role play at our table and as much as we think that we're good at role playing as much as we've uncovered that we like role playing and brian you've made comments about well i'd avoid the role play but here's how i'd role play and, and, and that that in itself is is a uh, is a endorsement for role play but as much as we think we've been really good at it you guys don't role play with each other we don't. I don't know why. I'm going to dig in on it. I'm going to think on it. I do think there's something there about you guys might feel it's a waste of time because you can't advance the plot. I can. I think there's got to be something there. I do want to look at the paranoia mechanics to figure that out. I love that I've, in this one episode, uncovered a problem. But then I also have a game that is completely built to 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 heighten or or push or prod you know, conflict-based role-play between characters. So I'm going to look into that. So that's the biggest takeaway. The other big takeaway is, as we do future episodes about our Pathfinder campaign, and we should probably do a couple of those and, and try to try to finish it up, but uh, this vampirism thing was, a, was, I thought, a fun thing that I was going to introduce, and it just didn't go anywhere. It fell flat. Um, I got Chris's permission to seduce his character and to, to introduce vampirism at the table, I wish I had asked you guys ahead of time if that was something that you'd want to be introduced because I think I was trying to get you guys engaged and it disengaged you further because I tried a gimmick and the gimmick didn't work. I don't think it disengaged. I don't think we were less engaged because of this. I just don't think that it necessarily hooked us. And yeah. that's our fault, I think, because of how we approached the game. In this campaign, we, we, we've basically had a... We, we basically... With wanting to get to level five, it's the equivalent in wrestling of an Iron Man match where falls count anywhere. It's a 60 minute match and whoever gets the most falls wins. That's basically what our campaign was set up to be. And then what happened is, you know, we got to minute 23, you know, a little less than halfway through the campaign 
And I felt like things were getting bored, so I step in as Vince McMahon and I throw a ladder into the middle <laughs> of the ring. And it just it didn't add anything to the sixty minute Iron Man match. So for me, the most interesting part of this is we have become basically nose blind to the smell of this dysfunction or this funk that has come over our games. We basically aren't seeing the forest for the trees in a lot of in a lot of ways because this very fundamental aspect of how we play the game is sort of broken, this idea that we don't RP with each other. Um, it would be interesting to go back and maybe try to reevaluate some of the things that, you know, we may, there may be some other major dysfunctions that we haven't even noticed because we've grown accustomed to it. We, in the past, we had talked about trying to approach um, like a process improvement uh Take a pro- take a process improvement uh, perspective on the game. Uh, we did that uh, idea before of um, which was really my favorite episode that I think we, that we've done, which was uh, the theory of constraints. So we were talking about the theory of constraints with the goal, and we were trying to figure out, you know, what is the goal of the game. You know, I think that what would be really awesome is if we had a brainstorming session on all the ways that our game is broken. And then we utilize something like, I don't know. A, Demaic. Well, I'm not even saying Demaic. Uh, it could be a Demaic, but right now I'm just thinking like just a single tool, like an impact control matrix, and then run through the impact control matrix in, in an episode and figure out, you know, what problems are out there, uh, how e- easy would it be uh, for us to fix it, and what would be the bang for the buck in fixing that. And then figuring out what some solutions might be. Well, we need Mike for that, but let's do that. Let's do that on the air. Yeah, I think that'd be great. All right, I think uh, I think we're done for today. And wow, we did not wind up where I thought we would. <laughs> no, we but did that's not. a that's a great thing. Ah, oh, man, I love doing the show. All right, that is RPG lessons learned this week. I uh, hope you enjoyed it, and we'll catch you again soon. People call them postmortems, evaluations, appraisals, reviews, retrospectives. We call them lessons learned. And we're sharing ours with you.